0: Hello and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of Velocities podcast. I'm Sammy. I'm Ivy. Yay. And this is episode three, brought to you by a really fancy pen. It is seven in the morning on this fine Saturday. And today it's going to be, to, our challenge today is going to be how, how well we can do this on the first try so Sammy doesn't have to edit. What do you think about that? All right. Sounds good. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I don't know. This has kind of been a crazy week for me. I don't know about you. Actually, I do also, know about you. I live with you. Also, me. Yeah. Kind <laughs> of want to talk about that Artemis Fowl trailer, but I feel like this is not the place and not the fandom. You. You can do that if you want. I don't. I don't really. I haven't watched it so I wouldn't be able to like contribute much but oh good don't don't watch it okay <laughs> it's it's bad I've, I've heard okay should we Excuse should me. we start should we start talking about the book probably okay all right so a lot went on in the chapters we talked about this was oh god I don't even remember this was chapters 21 through, it was like 29 through wait 29 something
1: no, no that's was, wrong. That's it was
0: wrong. 20 Hold through on. 29, yeah. 21 through 28, okay. No, it was 20 through 29. It was? 21 through... on the. I'm looking on the... Ca- you know what, who cares? I'm looking on the calendar. And it's- yeah, the, cal- okay, whatever. the calendar says 20 to 29, but I feel like last week was 15 to 20, so maybe it was 21. No, you're looking at the exile calendar, Keeper. Oh! Oh! I was 20... looking at the exile calendar. Yeah, it's 21 You're through 28. So du- okay. <laughs> <laughs> no thoughts head empty. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of interested in seeing uh how this sounds when I listen to this again because you said a couple weeks ago that my podcasting voice is different than my regular voice. And I feel like I'm talking in my regular voice now, not my podcasting voice. Yeah, yeah, it's different. It's different.
1: Yeah, see, and well, I can no, right tell. Right now it's like
0: n- Right now it's different? No, like right now it's normal. Right now it's normal. Right now it's but normal? Then before it was different. Interesting. Yeah, we're editing that out. <laughs> okay. All right. So, what what we actually read was there was there was a lot that went on. This was the midterm section. Um, so there was a lot of Foxfire stuff that went on, um, school shenanigans before they become, like, high school dropouts in the later book. <laughs> wait, yeah, wait. Did they even go to school? Yeah, they do. Do they? They did not go- They, they did go, go to sometimes. school in never seen, so they skipped, like, Sophie skipped, like, the second half of level three to live in a treehouse. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I think they went back to school after actually I don't remember. I don't remember anything after Never Seen. Um Yeah, so they started off in Foxfire. Um something I remember is there was this there was this part where like Fiona was being kind of snippy and annoying and like antagonistic towards Sophie and I know that later on we figure out that there is a reason behind that, although I don't remember exactly what it was, but um Dex mentioned that she's not used to she's not used to not being the prettiest girl in the school. Um which is I don't really I don't really know how to feel about that. Do you have something to say? I mean I think it's cute because in like you know, a, Dex, in, in a but, Dexy um... way or like a what's the ship name? In a um Sophie and Bianca way. No, in a Dex. Wait, what's their ship name called? Sophiana? Sophiana, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, 7 <a>. um, <laughs> I also think that it was probably just Dex, like, tra- I mean, I also think, you know, in the first book, Dex just, like, is constantly roasting everyone he doesn't like all the time, even mm, if it's not big super true, so probably he was just doing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I think this was like the first time in this reread of the book where like I felt I really felt the presence of like the whole Mary Sue debate here where like Sophie does hit a lot of the requirements of being a Mary Sue. Like it's kind of a thing. She's super smart, she's pretty, everyone wants to be with her. She's good at everything she has different colored eyes but then at the same time it does bring up the question of like the question that a lot of people have been asking I think which is like oh should this idea of a Mary Sue really exist at all and like should are we should we be able to have characters who are just wish fulfillment and like for that to be okay well I mean okay so I'm thinking (laughs) I'm thinking about something that I saw In a Brandon Sanderson lecture, because I do that all the time, and, um, basically, what I- I'm sick. There was this part where he was talking about, like, um, where he was talking about, like, like, having diversity and stuff, and one of the, like, levels was, like, having a character- who is like perfect so like the paragon but like only one of them like if you have like a woman in your questing party and she's like the best and has no flaws but then you don't have any other ones and it's just like that's how women are that's a problem but if you have a bunch of women and then one of them's like really awesome but then there's like a wide range it's like Fine, kind of like obviously, if there are problems specifically with that character, but in general, it's not really a big deal. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, the whole thing with like having one woman in the cast who's hyper competent, I feel like that's a thing that happens a lot. And I get to bring it back to Kodok, I'm glad that it doesn't really happen in Kodok, but like you know, the like sexy, sporty, hyper competent spy lady, very common thinking about certain things. Um, I guess in a way, then, it's good that, like, even though Sophie might be hyper-competent at some things and, like, everyone thinks she's pretty or whatever, it's, like, there that there are other characters who don't have those traits. Like, not everyone is perfect. It's true. And also, Sophie has flaws. Well, I feel like she gets flaws later, but then... Well, but I feel like Sophie's flaws... I mean, I feel like Sophie's main flaw is that she's impulsive, right? Like, she'll, like, read the Ogre King's mind without <laughs> consulting anyone first. And I feel like that's a very that's a pretty common flaw to have in main characters or in hero characters, just because, like, it's an easy one to say, like, but they're only impulsive that way because they're such good people. And so I feel like that's a pretty easy flaw to have. It's true. Yeah, I definitely felt frustrated when, like, They just gave her detention for the reading Lady Galvin's Vine thing, because I know that you just have to go on with the story, but it really felt like she just should have gotten way more punished. Well, really? Do you really think so? Because I don't know. I felt like it was okay. Like if something like that had happened at like school, at regular school, I don't think you would have gotten expelled. That's true, actually. She confessed, so. Actually, no. Yeah, I'm thinking about it, and I just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm thinking, and, like, I think that the punishment itself was probably fair, but I just didn't like the way everyone was treating it. Mm. Yeah, I get like. that. Like, yeah. Okay. Moving on. Um, next, we are at Haven. F- Sophie goes home to Havenfield and saves the life iggy iggy's a war criminal <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we meet we meet iggy iggy is such a being an an unrainbowed iggy currently you know i've had this theory for a really long time that iggy is going to be like the key that solves like the final mystery or like the mo- or end up being like the most important character in the climax of the series and i just really want that to happen I, that would be wonderful, but I feel like it's not. I mean, I know, but like, wish fulfillment. I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be fun. And then, oh, there was, there were just some like character establishing moments in this scene that I really loved. Like that part where Edelyn like touches Sophie's cheek. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I love, I love Edelyn so much. She's such a good mom. She's such a good character. She's kind of awesome. She's, yeah, she's my favorite. Mm -hmm. Moving on to the story, the next day at Havenfield is the splotching match, which, oddly enough, I remembered nothing about. Really? I didn't remember the splotching match existed until I reread this section. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember very vividly as, like, an- a nine-year-old just being very angry (laughs) when everyone was like make Fitz look pretty in pink because I was like going through an identity crisis at the time and I was like hey yeah (laughs) I feel like every episode we're gonna end up discussing the iffy gender stuff in this book yeah to some extent it's uh It's just (laughs) 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 I mean I am glad to see that it does get Better? Like, it seems like she was conscious of that and made efforts to fix it later. Yeah, but I think we still should, like, point out some of the problematic stuff. Oh, yeah. In the earlier books. Just because it is there. Um... hmm Do we know, though? Did... This is just a random question, but did the splotcher thing actually hit anybody at the very end? Or did it just explode in the middle when Sophie did her brain push? I think it hit nobody because okay I was reading this last night they said um because Keith said you won because Fitz hit the wall way harder than you did so he must not have gotten splotched which by the way like since when was that a rule no well they the official thing that Alina said was that um any level 2 who can hold her own against a level 5 or whatever is clearly the winner so it's like fine but Like, I think from what Keith said, it seems like nobody actually got splotched. Well, but then Sophie's getting bonus points for being young. This is true. But, I mean, come on. Like, Fitz has already... I mean, I don't know. I feel like that was kind of fair. Yeah, okay. Alright, that's fair. You know, they had to make somebody win, so. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, and then this is our, uh... And then after the splotching match, this is our second trip so far to the healing center in like half a book. We have to start keeping a tally of like how many times she actually goes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, and then this is, and this is the scene where we finally meet um that the creature that I was talking about a couple episodes ago, Bullhorn. Oh oh oh, Banshee Bullhorn. Yeah, the Banshee. Yes. <laughs> who, I don't know. I I weirdly like Bullhorn. Oh of course everyone likes both they're life. not a character but like I just I like I think it's a him I like him <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know exactly why but he's just he's a cute child yeah actually I, he's probably not but like I just I feel like everything everything Elwin just is associated with is automatically like really cute and likable I think. has like the touch of life yeah. Yeah, this is, um, jumping forward a few chapters, actually several chapters, but, um, so just thinking about Bullhorn, I remember one of the scenes that I actually remember the most vividly from Keeper 1 is when Sophie is all faded, and then Bullhorn just, Bullhorn stops screaming and then just sort of lies down next to her, um, and that was kind of freaky when I read it. Something else I noticed in this section—it actually relates to the splotching section—but they didn't talk about it until the healing center, um, was when Keith, no, not Keith, was when, <coughs> was when um, Grady, I believe, said that mental energy doesn't mix with core energy. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. <coughs> blah, I'm dying. Uh, <laughs> Me too. I found that really interesting. Because of later on in the series, um, we find out that Lord Cassius wrote a book about how <gasps> oh you're right. There's a difference between energy that comes from the heart and energy that comes from the head. So I thought there was an interesting connection between that. Um, it's never really been like discussed among the main characters yet, but I have a strong feeling it's going to come up later that there are these two types of energy is core energy like heart energy that's yeah that's what I was thinking and I think it's possible that Sophie's uh that Sophie's more tapped into her own core energy because we know like she can do the brain push really easily and that's core energy and um she can also later yeah, and later on in the series... Like, inflicting. Or is that mental energy? I actually think inflicting is core energy because um, later on in the series, she had that knot of emotions, right? That she was keeping, like, in her ribs, or however it was described. Oh, that's true! So That felt like core energy to me. Um, I can't remember... <laughs> this is lame, but... I can't remember if you just did this or it was actually in there, but... When Sophie... When Sophie enhanced Keith, could he inflict now on her okay it's something that I did first I did it first and then, then it then happened and she I want to say it happened in flashback okay um, but it did happen but it it did happen Keith I I'm pretty sure Keith found that he was able to inflict positive emotions which is interesting okay okay so but the thing is Sophie can inflict positive emotions also so I was thinking like if Sophie were to be enhanced by someone else, would she be able to should be an empath? Oh, like if someone else was able to enhance her? Yeah, if there hmm. was another enhancer. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was just the whole mental versus core energy thing was just something that I noticed. And I think it's interesting that, like, Shannon's kept this thing going since book one, so I feel like it must be important. Wow, one thing that's continuous. <laughs> oh, just in between sections, Um, I just, there was this line, there's this line of narration that said, Sophie's brain struggled to compute, and I was just thinking of the Lunar Chronicles. <laughs> yeah, I don't compute. <laughs> um, completely unrelated to anything, but there's that. Did you have anything else that like you wanted to bring up for the these first two like Foxfire sections? I mean, one thing was that I just thought that it was. I think I thought that like the splotching match was kind of the first, or one of the first times that we got to see, like Fitz's kind of like competitive side, and because he was like sportsman-y at the end when he lost, but then like he was forty. <laughs> he was forty. He was like nice to Sophie, but you could tell that he was really not feeling great. And like I liked that cuz I felt like we hadn't really seen that in him before, but it was it's a pretty major like like point about him. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point cuz like we were so fo- we've been so focused on like Sophie doing well and we're happy that she's doing well, but then they're also bringing up how like Fitz and Bianca aren't doing great because now Sophie's better than them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So now let's talk about base quest. Base quest. After school, Sophie goes. Sophie and Keith both actually go to Everglon to hang out with the Vackers, keeping up with the Vackers, (laughs) vibing with the Vackers, (laughs) vibing with the Vackers. That should have been the name of our podcast. Oh my god. <laughs> Vibing with the backers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I had some things to say about Base Quest, but I think maybe... Do you want to go first? Well, I was thinking about Bionna. <laughs> okay. Like, I don't know, just... <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking about Bionna? <laughs> just, like, a little bit. Before that, she was asking Sophie to come over, right? And, um, like, she said that she just, like, has a hard time, like, making new friends or something, right? Oh, yeah. Was that—okay, I—some—I may be mixing it up with another book, but, like, I remember vaguely that, like, somewhat like an adult— Told her to be nice to Sophie? Yeah, yeah, that happened in this book, in Keeper One. Alden told Bianna to become friends with Sophie, to like get Sophie closer to them, kind of like fits being friends with Keith, yeah. Um, which is also kind of another sus thing that Alden has done. Alden is wow. Alden's like great. <laughs> Were you saying that sarcastically or? Well, no, I mean I was he's great as a character, like I think that they really, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I was just wondering if, like, that, what Bianna was saying was just completely a lie, or if she was actually kind of telling the truth and trying to become, I mean, obviously, she was trying to become friends with her for, like, ulterior motives, but, like, if, or if she was, act, that's actually a, like, I don't know, like, something that she was expressing about herself. Yeah, I, I mean I want to believe Biana was telling the truth. I like Biana. Um and I think I think also if she, if she was telling the truth about how like she's never been very good at making friends, I think it does add another level another layer to her character. Um definitely, yeah. Especially since like I think it is true that in the later books and then in like not just canon but also fanon as a whole um Bianna has kind of turned into like the sexy, sporty, hyper competent spy lady of the series. Um, and really, yeah, yeah, there's I did not see that at <laughs> all, but okay, that's not what okay, all right. But, um, yeah, I think it is important to remember that, like, in the earlier books, especially, she was kind of uh, like, She's she insecure was insecure, and I love her, yeah, insecure and like shyer than. She was, once she was comfortable with all the Keepers being her friends and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, insecure is a good word for it. Moving on to the base quest scene, though. I don't know how to say this nicely, but I kind of just want Keith to shut up at this point. When he was going on about, like, boys versus girls and, like, his that whole spiel, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I just remember thinking, like, God, just shut up like please cease and desist (laughs) yes like i don't know keith as a character or more like keith as a person has never really drawn my interest like i see how he could and would um but i've just never really cared for him so i guess that's my lukewarm take of the day i feel like he has flaws which is good but his flaws don't add to his character, which is not good. They're just there, and they kind of are I sad. I actually disagree. Really? Yeah, I think, I think his, I think his flaws actually make him a very good character. I think, I think it's pretty easy to see like where his motives and stuff lie, um, based on, you know, how you know the, how how you know that like he's insecure about his mom and. Um, he has that really kind of Slytherin mentality. I'm sorry, I just automatically sort every character I meet into Hogwarts houses. That's true, actually. You're right. I, I, I tend from it. You're right. But I do think there's a kind of a, a, line or a difference between, like, who he is as a character and then his personality. His personality feels very separate from his character arc. I mean, what even is his character arc? It's like hi- him, like trusting people, right? Or yeah, I think trust. I feel like trust is more like Fitz's character arc, right? Like, I feel like with Keith, what he the thing he really has to get over is, um, is his connection to the Never scene and like sort of grappling with this idea of like, was I made to be evil? Am I Sophie's evil clone? he has to just kind of accept, like, he can be his own person and stuff. Right, yeah. And that whole character arc, it feels very separate from, you know, from his, like, how he's, how he's all Carswell Thorne. I don't know how to adjective today, but that's really the best thing I can think of. He's Carswell Thorne. Um, (laughs) He's Thorny. He's Thorny. Okay, we're going to rename our characters Sporty Thorny. Sporty Thorny. I mean, I, I definitely get what you're saying, but maybe maybe he has, like, two arcs almost, because there definitely is a sort of arc where he's, like, being more vulnerable, definitely around Sophie and, like, around his friends, and I feel like that plays into his personality a lot. Like, I'm thinking about, like, in Never Seen, like, the window pajama party thing. Oh, like, I love that scene. I know <laughs> And like I feel like that that does that is a big thing with his personality. It's just maybe not as one hundred percent in line with like the other aspect of his arc than with the other characters. Yeah, actually think thinking about it now it it does seem more closely connected because like it has to do with him shedding who he's supposed to be, and maybe that includes that sort of like bad boy facade that he's been putting up in these first in the first book. Yeah, that would be nice. That's all I had to say about base quest actually, other than this note that says there's some intense Willow energy between Sophie and Biana, which is always true. Yeah, this is just a constant thing. I don't even know why we have to say it anymore. <laughs> Canon. Um, but yeah, did you have anything else you wanted to say about? about base quest and sophie yeeting herself through the air she did do that i mean not really i think you know it's all resolved later so that was that was cool yeah that was a fun scene though it was like sometimes you need scenes to just like sort of whoosh and like take a break and have some character development it was nice because it kind of reminded us that they're they are just like kids and they're 12 years old and like you know they're just having fun Okay, and then we are back at Foxfire for this next scene. They spend a a lot of time at Foxfire in this book. I forgot how much time, which I guess makes sense, because it's, like, school, so you spend all day there. But, like, I mean, in book four, they're, like, going off and chasing gnomes and ogres. Like, I just forget how much of the time book one is spent at Foxfire. And I remember, like, people, including me, were, like, so mad that so much of Flashback was in the Healing Center. But really, it's kind of the same here. It's like, no, that's just callback to the first book. <laughs> well, okay. I know that it's... I'm, I'm bringing up the lectures twice now, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I and mean, you're like, middle grade, right? Middle grade, right? Yep. Um, We're talking about a series for 8 to 12-year-olds. Yeah, for every series, there's there's a, um, oh my god, I'm in bio mode, and I was about to say growth curve, and then I was like, wait, um, there's a a learning curve, that's what it is, so there's a learning curve, and, like, for the author or for the characters? No, for the, just, like, the books, oh, Okay. like, for the reader, mm-hmm. and so, and generally, as we get older, we want, like, bigger steps up, so that's why, um, in like long series like Harry Potter, you generally start off with a pretty formulaic book like at one place doing the same sort of thing, but then at some point you move away. You go away from that place and that routine and it gets like more and more different. And I feel like that what you said about flashback was really cool because it's it really is showing that in the first in, like, the first through third books, I guess, we were okay with this, we liked this formulaic thing because we were still kind of at the beginning of the series, we wanted to get a feel for how it was, but by flashback, that same thing kind of bores us because we're farther along on the learning curve. So it's like, I don't know, it shows that there's a good progression in the books, I guess. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, like, I like thinking about Harry Potter and how it's structured, because, like, it always starts off, like, I... Yeah, I mean, it is similar. Right, because, like, it always starts off, like, at Privet Drive on Harry's birthday, and then it always ends with him going back. Well, no, the first one was not on Harry's birthday. It was on Dudley's birthday. Well, the first book, like, actually starts on Harry's birthday. <laughs> and, um... Fine. <laughs> and I was sort of thinking about this, because, like, when... Keeper of the Lost Cities first came out, like, the first book. A lot of reviewers called it, quote-unquote, Harry Potter for girls. Oh, and, um, okay. Um, I have issues with that, but we'll not go into that, okay? <laughs> I don't agree with that. Um, and I just don't agree with that because so much of Harry Potter, I feel like, has to do with the structure and this idea of things being, like, reset by the summer, mm-hmm. whereas Kodok oh, has no summer really and it never has. I don't know. That's something that I've just thought about at various points of my life. Anyway, Foxfire. Foxfire. Yes. What what happened at Foxfire? Oh, midterms. Whoa, that was really that was really trippy because I just heard you shout Foxfire in the other room. Oh, I heard you shout some stuff too. Like earlier. <laughs> <laughs> this is okay. so weird. Um by the way, if you're really confused and you're listening to this, um we're in the same house. Ivy right and now. I are siblings. In we're in the rooms. same house across the hall, but <laughs> we're just using different microphones so we can be on separate tracks. <laughs> what did I think about this section? Uh oh! I really hope they bring back the Havenfield caves for the final battle. I think that would be a really nice way to come around full circle. Um. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, and that. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, Sophie and Dex have to face their fears. Well, especially Sophie. Yeah, it's about the trauma. Yeah, cuz then it's like you can show how you're you're coming back to the same place but now you're stronger and stuff. Yeah. Woohoo, character development. Um we've already talked a bit about reading Lady Galvin's mind uh and how that was dealt with. Uh the only thing I really have to say about this section that we haven't covered, I guess, is that I really dislike Alina. You do? Which I guess was a. I guess I was supposed to because she's an antagonist, no. but like, I do not What's like her. Why? Wait, do you like her? Well, this is a complicated question. Why do you like her? Because. I, okay, I feel like later, I don't really like her. But then, in the first book, I was neutral about her. But, um. Okay, in a thing that I'm doing, one of the characters is named Alina, and, like, she's the best, so I kind of attached that to that name, so I was neutral about her in book one, but then when I was reading, I was like, oh, good name, and then I liked her. No, that makes sense, I and I do kind of associate the name Alina with um, Alina Starkov in Grisha, so there's that protagonist connection also, but I still don't like Dame Alina. I think... She's an- I think she's annoying. I don't like her whole running up to the altar backstory. Yeah, that was interesting. I don't- I mean, it draws a parallel to- with, um, between Alden and Fitz, I guess, but not really. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> I never actually thought about that. Wait, it- Oh, really? No? Yeah, that's like the first thing Wait, I Wait, a parallel about- to Alden and Fitz? I mean, not really, but kind of. I mean, it basically just, well, it's more just to show kind of how, like, when Alden was younger, he wa- he did kind of fill a similar role in society and, like, to Fitz. And I feel like that just heightens, like, Fitz trying to live up to him and stuff. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so then, okay, midterms midterms talking about Sophie midterms got a 79 and her parents were proud of her and i mm. <sighs> look i got a 79 in music theory on one of my cm tests my one of my certificate of merit tests so like i i feel i feel sophie's pain can't relate really. <laughs> <laughs> something i really loved about the midterm segment is um when they go shopping, when Grady and Edelyn go shopping with Sophie in Atlantis afterwards, I thought that was just a really sweet moment. um, Because, like, we've seen so far, like, Grady and Edelyn's kind of agoraphobia. I know, and then they went out for their daughter. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then they went out for her and to buy her friends gifts, and I just thought that was so sweet. Yeah, they're best parents. I love them so much. Literally, there are, like, three pairs of good parents in this entire series, and Grady and Edelin are one of them. Who's the other? Della and Alden? I'd Del- say Della and Alden, I'd say, are on thin ice. Kessler and Julene. Oh, Kessler. Kessler and Julian are very good parents. Um, other than that, I mean, the parents of the rest of the Keepers kind of suck. I feel like Della's cool, but then Alden's like not that cool. I had a theory a while ago that Della was in the Never scene. Yeah, it's the same as okay. Literally, this is the same as the McGonagall theory. They're the same person. Whatever made you think Della was in the Never scene was the same thing that made you think the McGonagall was a Death Eater. Yeah, like she's too good of a character. So there must be something suspicious about her, something like that. Yeah, something like that. She's cool though. I I don't want her to be evil. So are we? Are we down to two pairs of good parents then? Is it just the ruins and the Disney's? Well, no, Sophie's parents, right? Sophie. I'd say Sophie. Human Sophie's parents. human parents are kind of on thin ice because, like, they tried. That's true. Like they also, tried, but also they didn't. They could have done better. Yeah. This is a pretty bad um percentage of good parents for a perfect society. I feel like Morella's parents are at least nice. Yeah, I think we don't know a lot about Morella's like, dad. They they really oh, like... Oh, Tyrgen! Yeah, Tyrgen and Prentice, They're good parents! <gasps> yes! Teartis. Hey, dads! Yes, how did I forget about them? Yeah, how did I forget about... Okay. Alright, alright, we're at three. Okay, okay. Three and a half, maybe, if we count Morella's parents. That's good, I guess. That's three and a half out of, like, 18. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, speaking of good parents, going to the opposite side of that, I'd like to slaughter Lord Cassius. (laughs) (laughs) Bad parents? Lord Cassius is an absolute- Are we- are we allowed to call him Ashes on here? (laughs) because this is a safe for work podcast <laughs> i think yeah i think we are or we can just no. where we can just say it every time but then just bleep it out <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be funnier yeah but okay keith's parents they suck oh i guess i guess only keith's dad at this point because gisella doesn't actually show up until exile believe it or not really? but That's um weird, but okay Cassius and Gisella are literally Lucius and Narcissus Malfoy. Yes, they yes, this, this is true, <laughs> down to the hair. And I realized why are we talking about Harry Potter well, so much is on a Just Harry podcast? Potter, but like they are the Malfoys, and I I imagine them as the movie Malfoys, like looking exactly the same. They act exactly the same.
1: They are the okay, same people. Okay, literally, me too.
0: Except okay, I imagine Lord Cassius looking more like. Um, Yaxley. (laughs) Yaxley? Oh. Yeah, because doesn't doesn't it say at one point that he has, like, hair that's, like, in a... I don't know, I can kind of see that, but I also... Lucius looks too pathetic. I feel like Lord Cassius, like, he is pathetic, but he looks like he's got it together. Yeah, that actually makes sense. I kind of see it now. I think that... I don't know, I always... I didn't feel like Lucius looked that pathetic, at least in the movies... Until maybe, like, book i I'm sorry. Six. First scene of Deathly Hallows, part one? Yeah, I know. I said until book six. Oh, okay. Never mind. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um... So, I was kind of imagining... Okay, so, it was a Harry Potter weekend a few weeks ago, so I was watching, um... And uh, there was a scene that had a big Cassius energy... In Goblet of Fire at the Quidditch World Cup, where um Lucius is like kind of yeah, where Lucius is kind of like trying to roast Harry, fourteen year old. Um, but he's like, and then um Harry and Ron are like up in the box, and then Lucius takes his like special wand cane. Oh, you'll be the first. Yeah. To know uh-huh. if it rains, you'll and- be the first to know. <laughs> yeah, that scene. So, I don't know, I felt like that had Cassius energy. Can't really explain why, but it did. I get that, though, yeah. Although I feel like Lucius... Lucius just, like, attacks them in arbitrary ways. I feel like Cassius really... Oh my god, they have the same last... Okay. Lucius and Cassius, (laughs) haha. I feel like Cassius really just, like, attacks you as a person. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Like... Yeah. Let's see, there were only a couple other things that, like, I wanted to talk about about this section, um... The, at the gift exchange they mentioned that Stina's head looks like a giant lollipop <laughs> that just stuck out stuck out to me because it has become such an iconic part of like who we see Stina as a character she's become the lollipop girl. Um so was nice to see where that all began. Um then they go to Everglen for dinner after that. They do? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, remember? Yeah, yeah. And um, then it said Della had pale eyes which was not true. They're cobalt. Yes, cobalt is not pale. Can we agree that, like, the default color of eyes, when Shannon doesn't know what color to make them, is cobalt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I thought that this part was interesting because, um, one, Olvar's here. Olvar. Uh, and two, they have a, um, this is the first time they said, talked about the black swan by name. Ooh, yeah, this, that was really interesting. So, yeah, that was cool, and I think it is also interesting that, like, they're talking about the Black Swan all the way in, like, chapter 28, but we don't actually meet them until we meet Mr. Forkle, right, at, like, the very, very end of book one, so they're very mysterious, um, they are the mysterious miss. <laughs> oh my god, Mr. Forkle can be the mysterious Mr. F. The mysterious Mr. F. Mysterious Mr. Fork. Um <laughs> Do you have anything that you want to say about Olvar? I was just wondering. Olvar, he sucks. I mean, yeah, but uh. we're not supposed to know that yet. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Um I guess looking back and knowing what the fire, well, actually, I don't actually remember what the fires were, but, like, knowing what the black swan was and stuff, it's so obvious that he's a traitor, and that he's just leading them astray, but, yeah, it did seem like Della and, uh, Della and Alvar had, like, a pretty good relationship, um, like, I just remember this one part where Della, like, ruffled his hair, and I feel like one, his hair is beautiful and he would never let anyone else do that. <laughs> and two, like, I don't know, it just felt like a very affectionate thing, like they have a connection. Yeah, it kind of feels like he is Della's favorite. Yeah. Um, oh, one last thing I wanted to mention was way back, not that long ago, actually, but back in the first episode, um, I was asking about Grady's scrolls and how he got them. And they brought up the scrolls in this section. Um, and the answer is, we don't know how Grady got them, so, uh, that is a not-mystery that was not solved. Well, I mean, I was thinking probably something to do with Jolie, right? Jolie, 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 you burned to death. Oh my god, I'm so sorry to everyone listening to this who has to hear our awful singing. Um... (laughs) But yeah, it's yeah. It could it could have to yeah, do yeah, cause Julie. she was affiliated. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they were like worried about her, and they were trying to see what she was doing or something. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like they would do that. Okay, do you have anything else you wanted to say for this section? Um, no. Oh, wait! Actually, the Riddler. Oh yeah, the pen. Right, the one that I mentioned as our the sponsor. Pen. Yeah, I was like, we should probably talk about that because yeah, it yeah. was brought to because last me week I it. last week I said it was brought to you by Deck, and then we never mentioned Deck. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the Riddler pen. Yeah. So, um, I Fitz does she does he not like her at this point? I don't think he likes her romantically, or yet. was he just like awkward? I don't. I don't think okay. so. So they're just like um, friends. You know what would be really cool if the Riddler pen ended up being a plot point, like Iggy. That would, that would be fun. Because, like, it can solve riddles or Wait, something, right? so what does right? it so, do again? Yeah, I think it, like, if you write down a riddle, it can solve it. So. Oh, really? That's nice. Yeah, so if there's, like, some sort of code that they need to figure out later, that pen could come in handy. Yeah. That's actually, yeah, wow. They probably wouldn't do that, though, because they know that riddlers exist. Oh, that's true. And you can, I mean, right, it seems like you can buy them for, everyone. like. And it seems like in this world you can buy them for, like. 20 cents at CVS. <laughs> Elf. Elvin. CVS. Elf. Elf. Yes. <laughs> Elf yes. So, I guess that's all we have for this week. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So, um, alright, so, it's sharing social media time, so, um, I, you can find me at Mallow Melting on Tumblr and Instagram. And. I am Aylin Ashriver. I think it's Ashriver. I'm not... Sh- okay, whatever. I am Aylin Ashriver Galathinius on Tumblr. Yeah. And we also have a Instagram and Tumblr for this podcast for KeeperCast. It's KeeperCast on Tumblr and The KeeperCast on Instagram. So if you like what we're doing, um, you can send us a message or an ask and... We will answer it next week on the podcast. (coughs) Are you okay? (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) This has been KeeperCast. See you next week.